Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Hope you are doing well today. I wanted to go through some of the history of the Essenes, who they were, um, and why their writings, the Dead Sea Scrolls, are relevant for Christians today. So those of you who do not know, I have a book coming out shortly called The Lost Prophecies of Qumran. So the information found in this video will be from that book. Uh, so first, let's just ask the, the question, who were the Essenes, and provide a short answer. Well, first, the Essenes were a community of Jewish believers that formed in the 400 years between the Old and New Testaments. And they were still existing in the time of Jesus. Uh, they were also the writers and keepers of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls actually helped fill in the gap between the Testaments. And we also learn from Josephus that the Essenes had a reputation for being completely accurate in their prophecy. Uh, they wrote some really amazing prophecies about the coming Messiah. Uh, they knew he would be God in the flesh and that he would die for people's sins, uh, specifically in 32 AD. There's actually a scroll that um, pinpoints it that exact. Uh, the Essenes were typically the ones who would accept Jesus as Messiah quickly, while the Pharisees and Sadducees mainly wanted to argue with him. So when you read through the Bible and you see some people are really zealous for Christ and they just accept him immediately, while it doesn't say all of those were Essenes, when you look at Essene theology, the Essenes were more likely to be the ones to, to accept Jesus so fast because he was fulfilling exactly what they expected. Um, they also wrote a few things about our time. So it stands to reason that if they were right about everything before, wouldn't they be right about our time too? Uh, and we're, we'll actually save that for another video. But, um, but now that you know the basics, we can get some more in-depth with this stuff, with the history here. And again, it's important because it helps explain why things are the way they are in the Old Testament and why they're so different in the New Testament. So from our perspective today, we understand the Old Testament pretty well. It begins with the writings of Moses and continues until the book of Malachi. Now, throughout the Old Testament, uh, Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come. This was a promised individual who would be anointed by God. And after Malachi, there's this 400-year gap until the beginning of the New Testament. When we read the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, we discover the conditions in Israel are different than where we left off in Malachi. So at this time, Israel's being ruled by Rome. There's religious leaders called Pharisees and Sadducees. And there's not much, much explanation in the Gospels themselves of how and why everything in Israel changed. So this is where we can actually look to some other texts written within that 400-year gap, including some of the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves, to help explain that transition between the book of Malachi and the Gospel of Matthew. Now, while that gap between the te uh, Testaments is typically called the silent years, it turns out that there is this rich history of available for us today, if we know where to look. Now, not many other people, like people in years past, didn't have the opportunities we have today because a lot of new scrolls have been discovered and things that really help explain the history here of what happened. 
Um, and until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the best options existing to explain that period were the Jewish history contained in the Talmud, the four books of Maccabees, and the works of ancient historians such as Flavius Josephus. Now, of course, all those sources leave some things out, and it can be really difficult to piece everything together, uh, you know, every point of history within those 400 years. But the Dead Sea Scrolls have helped quite a bit um, since their discovery. Um, it really all begins with the command of God to Aaron, recorded in uh, the Torah that priests of Israel were only supposed to come from Aaron's family, specifically from the tribe of Levi. And you can find that on your own uh, Exodus 28 and 29 and also Numbers 18. Um, they're really large texts. They're, they're big blocks of text, so I'm not going to read them all here. You can look them up on your own. But if you do actually want that, then get my book because I do list them out so you can follow along there. Uh, but um, and again, I, I, at the time of this recording, the book is not out. So by the time you're watching it, it might be. Just check skywatchtvstore.com. Uh, or if you just look up my name in Qumran, it should come up anywhere. But um, So Levi was one of the first 12 sons of Jacob. Levi was the father of Kohath, who was the father of Amram, who was the father of Aaron and Moses. So this is how the line of Levi connects to Aaron and Moses throughout time. Now, instead of just allowing any Levite to be a priest, um, God narrowed the choices to Aaron's descendants, which eventually lead, leads us to the sons of Zadok. So this can be a little bit confusing because there are two individuals named Zadok in this priestly line. So throughout the Old Testament, we see this priestly line narrowed down to the first Zadok, which was the 12th from Adam, then to a second Zadok, who was high priest during the construction of the first temple during the days of David and Solomon. Uh, and you can find the first part of this list, the first 12 in the book of Ezra, uh, and I believe that's Ezra chapter 7, and then the you, you get some more of the list in First Chronicles 6. Uh, we see another seven members from the family line. Um, starting after that first Zadok and then ending with the second Zadok. So the second Zadok is the individual referred to when the term sons of Zadok comes up. So from the Bible, we learn that King David set up Zadok. And again, this is that second Zadok in that priestly line. But we, uh, we find that King David set up uh, Zadok and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, as priests. Now, later in the days of Solomon, there was a rebellion and uh, Adoniah was attempting to secure the throne, and Abiathar sided with him. Now, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon expelled Abiathar from Jerusalem and gave the priesthood to Zadok. So from that time forward, high priests were to come through the line of Zadok. Now, after the second Zadok, the family line, which is sometimes called the Zadokite dynasty, continued with a list of five more members. Um, and you get that from First uh, Chronicles 6. Uh, so then all you put all that together. Well, after that, we then learn that Jehozadak uh, uh, went into captivity with Jerusalem and Judah by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So putting all that together, we're provided with the 24 descendants from Aaron to the time of the Babylonian captivity. So that's kind of how this Zadok line works. Now, after the Babylonian exile... Uh, Zadok's family line of high priests continued until Jason, 
who was the son of Simon II, um, who lived from 170, or, or who, th this was around 175, 172 BC, who was the last of the Zadokite dynasty. Now, in 175 BC, a Hellenistic king of the Seleucid Empire named Antiochus Epiphanes, usually it's written Antiochus Roman numeral four Epiphanes, uh, he conquered Israel. And Antiochus uh, deposed the rightful high priest Jason and appointed Menelaus as the new one. Uh, Antiochus outlawed Jewish religious rituals, uh, slaughtered a pig to desecrate the Jewish temple, and ordered the Jews to worship Zeus instead of Yahweh as the supreme god. Um, we get, we piece some of that together from the book of Maccabees. Uh, Josephus has some stuff about that. Uh, actually, according to first Maccabees, Mattathias, the Hasmonean began the revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes and the Seleucid empire in 167 BC. Uh, he did this by refusing to worship the Greek gods. Uh, he killed a Greek officer who was attempting to enforce a sacrifice to an idol. And he also killed a Jew who had stepped forward to do the sacrifice. So after that initial revolt, Mattathias and his five sons fled to the Jerusalem or the uh, Judean wilderness. Um, now, though they're heavily fragmented and they don't offer much information, Mattathias and one of his son Yohanan uh, are actually mentioned in a Dead Sea Scroll named Four Q Decrees. Again, there's not much information in there, but it's just one. Of, it's just interesting that this is all. This is all around the same time. Now, after Mattathias died a year later in 166 BC, one of his sons named Judas Maccabee led an army of Jews into uh, many battles against the Seleucid rulers and anybody who sided with them in Israel. Now, the Maccabees were victorious against the Seleucid army and were able to cleanse the temple, which resulted in the creation of a new holiday in Israel, Hanukkah. They uh, were able to reestablish worship of Yahweh and Jewish rituals, and they installed Judas's younger brother, Jonathan uh, Aphis, uh, also called Jonathan the Hasmonean, as high priest. So he wore the garments of the high priest and officiated for the first time on the Feast of Tabernacles in 153 BC. Uh, Jonathan was the first priest of the what, what would be called the Hasmonean dynasty. Now, of course, it's generally understood that this was a good thing, you know, that the Jewish people were able to escape the persecution of their oppressors. However, this was not like a perfect restoration. So for those um, who were following the books of the Old Testament, Jonathan Aphis never should have been made high priest because he was not a Zadokite. He wasn't in that line. Of, of Zadok. History itself even seems to show that the Hasmonean dynasty was not blessed exactly by God to take over the priesthood, uh, as this was just the beginning of an increasing corruption in Israel's leadership until the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD. Now, that's not to be confused with the blessing by God for the temple to be cleansed, as history and tradition record a miracle of God occurring so that the temple could be properly cleansed, which is the origin of Hanukkah. Again, those who follow that line of thinking would say that God blessed the cleansing of the temple, but did not bless the appointment of Jonathan Aphis to high priest because he was not a descendant of Zadok, so he should not have been made uh, high priest. So um, that do, making that mistake was actually like the first domino in a long line of uh, corruption. Um, so now the chronology, this actually leads to the Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and how they got created, but the, the chronology of events 
about the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Qumran community, what, what would later be called the Essenes uh, by Josephus and, and others, is explained in the Talmud and the Dead Sea Scrolls, as well as other historical texts. But what's interesting is that we can see a clear difference in the way these things are explained between the Talmud and the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Talmud, um, for those who aren't familiar, it's a body of Jewish texts written by Orthodox rabbis who originally came from ancient Pharisees in the first century after the destruction of the temple. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written by Jews who completely disagreed theologically with the Pharisees and by extension the Sadducees. So the Essenes had a totally different theology than the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They, they had a theology like in line with Christianity today, only like before Christ, and also very Jewish. So um, uh, while many of the historical details tend to agree within these two collections of texts, the way that they are presented varies a bit. Um, so you got to kind of piece them together. Now, Dr. Ken Johnson, THD, um, author of several groundbreaking books concerning the Dead Sea Scrolls and the ancient Near East, he's, um, he's taken great care to put all these together and try to come up with a timeline. There's a couple of videos if you want more information on this. Um, one is Origin of the Pharisees by Dr. Ken Johnson, and that's from his or actually that is just the one video, but that's uh, from his Prophecy and Chronology Bible Study series. You can find that on YouTube. Now in that, he explains that there was a time prior to Antiochus Epiphanes when the Jewish people would discuss theology. They would offer differing opinions amongst each other peacefully as brothers, kind of like how we as Christians are supposed to do that. You know, a lot of times when you look at online comments, you don't really see that, but that's how we're supposed to, you know, be. But that, that's, they, they would discuss these things peacefully as brothers. But something happened over the course of time that caused factions to form and break off from one another and even become so emboldened by their differences in opinions that they actually tried to kill each other. You know, they tried to kill those who disagreed. So during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, there were Jews who rebelled, but there were also those who went along with the Seleucids and became Hellenized Jews. After the Maccabean Revolt and the retaking of Israel by the Jews, uh, there were still Hellenized Jews in the land, along with Torah-believing Jews. Some Jews sided with the government and felt that it was better to go along with whatever the occupying foreign rulers demanded. Uh, other Jews felt that going along with the government when it conflicted with their understanding of the Torah was completely inappropriate. So on top of that, the family line of the Maccabees eventually decided that they wanted to hold the office of king as well as priest, which was forbidden according to Jewish scripture because priests are supposed to be from the line of Zadok and kings are supposed to be from the line of of David, and uh, we can get that from Second Samuel. Now, uh, in chapter seven, uh, specifically, I think verse sixteen. Now, in one ten BC, the Jewish leadership was able to get Rome to recognize Israel as a sovereign nation, and uh, uh, but an independent Hasmonean kingdom. So this wasn't like a. It wasn't a. It wasn't the way Israel used to be. Now, after that, the leadership in Israel decided to initiate conquests. So they would attack the surrounding tribes and people groups. They would make them become Jewish by getting circumcised, eating kosher, and other things. Now, this also was against Jewish understanding of Mosaic law because Gentiles were not to be forced into Judaism. Uh, and this is exactly the question that was addressed during the Council of Acts 15. So this was an ongoing problem. Uh, they were per, Gentiles were permitted to convert on their own and become Noahide believers called pros, proselytes, 
but that was supposed to be done voluntarily. And even then there were certain Jewish rituals and activities uh, and roles, even that they still were not permitted to participate in. Um, for example, no Gentile was supposed to be a king of Israel. So Deuteronomy uh, 17, 14 through 15 uh, tells us that. <coughs> and in fact, <coughs> excuse me, there was even a distinction between Jew and Gentile when it came to the Mosaic food laws, which is like a big deal today. Uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of Hebrew roots people that will try and enforce, or maybe enforce is too harsh of a word, but they'll try and uh, apply all of the Mosaic food laws to Gentile Christians today. Now, in short. Jews had to keep kosher, but Gentiles were not required to do so. So, and I'll actually read this one. Deuteronomy 14.21 says, uh, You may not, and this, remember, this is from God to Jewish people. This is for the Jews. Okay, you may not eat any corpse, though you may give it to the resident foreigner who is living in your villages, and he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not boil a young goat in its mothered milk. All right, so... It was to teach a separation here. God isn't advocating for the Jews to lead the Gentiles into a sin. It was a sin for the the Jews to eat that way, you know. Uh, but if you, you know, if they had some, like, if they had some animal, like some animal corpse that was not kosher, Deuteronomy fourteen twenty one says that God says that the Jews of that time, they were allowed to give it to the Gentiles and they can eat it. So would, would God cause the Jewish people to lead a Gentile into rebellion against God? If, if the eating law thing was a universal thing, like the, the law of Moses, like if the Torah eating law was um, a universal thing, uh, then that verse makes no sense. So what was going on at the time and you see that you see it today. It's it's kind of interesting how these things repeat. But um, you you had uh, Pharisees that were trying to put um, priestly laws onto everybody. So there were things that were only laws for the priest. And they were trying to put that on everybody. Uh, they were trying to put the eating laws not just on Jews but on Gentiles too. So they they were they were doing all this stuff. There's actually a lot uh, many other examples throughout Scripture. Um, that show there was supposed to be a clear distinction between Jew and Gentile. Now, at the time, a separatist group of Jews formed against those who were trying to force Gentiles into converting to Judaism. Okay, so now we're back in the time before the Pharisees. This is how uh, the Pharisees came to be. Now, early on, those separatists became the Pharisees, while the remainder of most Jews, including, at the time, the priestly sons of Zadok and the Hellenized Jews who wanted to go along with whatever the king and government said to, said to do, became the Sadducees. Now, in fact, in the original... He, so, so, think of this. You have, you have all these Jews, all these groups. You have this you have this part break off, and that's the Pharisees, and then kind of like the rest, sort of, are called um, Sadducees, sort of, at first. Now, what's interesting is in the original he Hebrew, Pharisee means separated, and Sadduc Sadducee uh, shares with Zadok the root word Sadok, which means to be right or to be just. Now, of course, the sons of Zadok and the Hellenized Jews had many differences themselves, so eventually they divided as well. Now, after some time, a decision was made among the Pharisees 
that the priestly code, uh, duties, responsibilities, rituals, and practices of priests, according to the law of Moses, that those would have to be that those would have to be applied to every Jew instead of only priests. So Pharisees came to believe in an odd interpretation of the Torah that included a motivation to make every child of Israel act as a priest to fulfill God's what they thought, you know, their interpretation of God's word in Exodus 19 about Israel become, uh, being his possession and a kingdom of priests. Well, they were trying to fulfill that. They, they failed to remember that that prophecy was actually conditional. God said, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, clearly they ignored that part, so God was under no obligation to hold up his end. The agreement was already broken. So instead of turning from their ways and back toward God, um, the Pharisees decided to take matters in their own hands and try to fulfill that prophecy themselves, which obviously did not end up working out too well. Um, the Pharisees weren't the only ones to become corrupt in their interpretations. Eventually, the Sadducees got to the point that they stopped believing in angels, life after death, and several other important tenets of the Jewish faith of their time. So that this is actually where the history of the Qumran community, the Essenes, who kept the Dead Sea Scrolls, come into play. But the history is a little unclear. Uh, so, to make a long story short, the Pharisees developed what they called Oral Torah, and this was a collection of additions to the written Torah of Moses that contained laws and statutes and legal interpretations. Those additions would later become the Talmud. So that's where the Talmud comes from. Now, the larger group of Sadducees outright rejected uh, the Oral Torah. Now, a new group rose out of that whole controversy, one that was unlike the other two major groups. They did not believe in the oral Torah of the Pharisees or their insistence on putting the regulations of priests onto every Jew, nor did they follow the Sadducees in rejecting pivotal Jewish beliefs. So the way this new group you know, should be identified kind of becomes a little muddled today. Some say Essenes, some say Sons of Zadok, some say Qumran community. Uh, and I go through all that in the book. Um, I, I write a paragraph about it. Basically what it is is, is like for the Essenes, um, anybody that believe, okay, this new group that came up, let's just call that Zadokites or Sons of Zadok. That's, the, that's who would eventually go and start the Qumran community. Well, anybody in Israel that believed that line of thinking, the, the, like what the, um, the Zadokites were teaching as theology, they would, be, they would just be in a scene. Um, same with Pharisees. It's kind of like, it's sort of like uh, the structure, not the theology, but the structure of Catholicism today. So if you're a Catholic, then you believe in Catholic doctrines, and those are decided at the Vatican by a governing body, right? So not every Catholic is a priest, but in Catholicism, every priest would obviously be a Catholic. It's, it's the same thing. So not every Essene was a son of Zadok, um, but the, the, the true sons of Zadok, the true priestly line that, that held on to their faith, uh, they, they were obviously, they would, they were Essenes. They started the Qumran community. So, uh, so the, the names, you know, what to call them gets a little muddled, but usually, so when I say Essenes, I just, I just mean just the believers in Israel of that time, any, anybody who believed in the Dead Sea Scroll way of looking at things, you know, that worldview, as opposed to the Oral Torah worldview. And then uh, if I say Qumran community or Zadokites or Sons of Zadok, that's specifically the people in Qumran um, that are keeping these uh, documents. 
Now, in looking at all the historical records and attempting to piece together some of the different descriptions, it's personally my opinion that the best explanation is that the Qumran community was made up of the priestly sons of Zadok and a few converts who wished to have more of a leadership role involving a stricter form of ritualistic dedication, because you do see that too in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You see certain priestly things, and you see certain things that are just for everybody else. So the Essenes were the Jews throughout Israel Again, who were just regular people, not priests, but who followed the theology of the Qumran community. Okay, so it seems just like we have a choice today if we want to be, I don't know, you know, Protestant or Catholic or uh, we, we have a million of them today. But it, it seems like that there was a similar choice that was available to the Jewish people between Pharisee, Sadducees, and Essenes. Now, um... The, I'm trying to see how far I want to go before we go to members only. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we're going to go to members only now. So if you want, we got more to talk about. I want to get more into the, the history here and about the Essenes themselves. Um, but before we do, you're going to have to go to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership. The reason that we're doing this is because, is because um, I want to be able to, post completely without worry of um, censorship. So YouTube has actually not allowed us to uh, upload for a while. Our two channels, The Sharpening Report and Daily Renegade, technically Daily Renegade 2.0, um, they're probably going to be deleted soon uh, if they're not already by the time this is up. So there is, a, there is a Rumble channel. You can find us on Rumble, Daily Renegade on Rumble. Um, but the best way is just get a membership at dailyrenegade.com. You can try it free for seven days. Uh, see if you like it, but but get a membership. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year, and I suggest getting the $100 a year if you can do it. It's technically cheaper uh, in the long run, and it's easier, too, because you just do it once, and then you don't have to think about it again. Uh, well, we do have a lot more to talk about, but first I have to tell you about Cornerstone Asset Metals. Uh, concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it is a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. Now there's a big difference between what we call real money, which actually is currency. So our dollar is currency, which fluctuates. Real money, like silver, is a store of value over time. So the best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash uh, back from the late 1960s, that $1,000 would, would still be $1,000, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. But if you saved that same $1,000 in silver back in the 60s, it would be around $28,000 today, which is amazing. One of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically silver. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door, and what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver rather than having all your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system, which is subject to hyperinflation. Go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Asset Metals banner and sign up to get your free silver report. One of the financial experts will speak with you and find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. You will find that under that banner, you will find a free episode, a free full episode of The Sharpening Report uh, with Terry Saka um, from Cornerstone. And we, we talk about 
about their ministry, about you know what what they do for people with silver and helping people protect against um, hyperinflation and and the paper fiat system and you know basically the beast system that we're all wrapped up in. Uh, this this. Cornerstone uh, is is helping people get free of that, and uh, they're they're Christian. You can see their testimony in that video. Fantastic people, and it's it's literally the only company that I personally trust uh, with my silver. So, um, again, head on over to DailyRenegade.com, click on that banner. You can watch that free episode of the Sharpening Report to get more information, and uh, let them know that you you heard about them through us. So head on over to dailyrenegade.com, get a membership today, and we will talk about the, the, the rest of this study on the other side. So everybody viewing for free, thank you so much. Till next time, take care and God bless. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.